Hello and welcome to Practicing English. And these are podcasts for students of English at B1 or B2 levels or IELTS from levels 4 to 7 or for those students who just want to improve their general English. Hello and welcome to another episode of Practicing English. And today is Friday. That means it's story day. And the story that I'm reading to you every Friday is from my own book, The Tudor Conspiracy by M.A. Bilbra. That is me. And this book is available on any Amazon platform. It comes with exercises for you to do before and after each chapter. And now you have the spoken version of the book. As today we're going to do chapter 5. And as usual, I'm going to start off with some vocabulary. And what I'd like you to do is to listen for these words as you hear them in the recording. And... Identify the context that they're used in. Who does it or says it, uh, where it happens, when it happens, etc. So that's something to uh, listen out for while I tell you the story. And the words today, I've chosen six. And the first one is astounded. Astounded which means very surprised or shocked by something. The next one is bustling. And bustling means with lots of people moving about in a busy way. So to bustle is the verb B-U-S-T-L-E. And the next one is cozy, C-O-S-Y. And cosy is to be very comfortable. It's an adjective, for example, in a place which you find very comfortable and relaxed in. You would say, it's a cosy place. You know, like sitting by the fire with a hot cup of chocolate and uh, reading a good book or something like that. It's nice and cosy. And the next one is a negative word, usually. It's dull, D-U-L-L. And in the context in the story, it means boring and uninteresting. So some subject which we don't really find interesting at all is dull. And the next word, in fact, they're two words, but they're more or less synonymous. And they are fury and rage. Fury is spelt F-U-R-Y. Rage is spelt R-A-G-E. And they both mean extreme anger. So from that, we actually get the adjective furious from fury. And it means very, very angry. And the last word for today is a verb. It's to peer. P-E-E-R. And to peer is to look closely or carefully at something. 
You may even close your eyes slightly to focus on what you're looking at, to peer. The Tudor Conspiracy by M. A. Bilber. This recording is copyright. Chapter Five: The Bodleian Library. The next day was Friday. Isabel had set her alarm clock for half past seven, but she woke up earlier. The morning sunshine was shining through the curtains, and the room was so light, it was impossible to sleep. But that did not annoy Isabel today. Philip was going to pick her up at nine o'clock, so Isabel had time for a leisurely breakfast of freshly made coffee, orange juice, two pieces of toast, and olive oil. From a bottle she had managed to find in a delicatessen, and some cereal, she was feeling excited, in a way, and positive. It was something different—a trip to Oxford, and someone to share the day with. Just after nine, there was the sound of a car stopping outside her house, and then a car door closing. Isabel looked out of the living room window, and saw Philip standing next to his car. He saw Isabel at the window, smiled, and raised his hand. Isabel put on her jacket and scarf, picked up a handbag, popped her camera inside it, opened the door, and left the house. Nice place you have here," called Philip, admiring. The brick facade of the townhouse. Yes, it is, isn't it? Answered Isabel. I was lucky to find a house like this. Philip nodded and seemed to breathe in the morning air. Lovely morning for a drive in the country, he said. They both got into his car and sped down the road. If you take the motorway. Oxford is only about an hour and twenty minutes' drive from Welling Garden City, but Philip wanted to show Isabel some of the English countryside, so he took a scenic route. As they got closer to Oxford, they drove through some attractive little villages. Colourful garden flowers hung in baskets outside, cosy-looking houses with thatched roofs. The stone of the houses and walls, which lined the country roads, reflected a warm, pale beige colour in the morning sun. The road ran right through the middle of every village, each with its tranquil and picturesque centre, or green, as Philip called it, with a pond and a stream and ducks swimming up and down, as though. Their only purpose in life was to be admired by passers-by. All this is so gorgeous and so green," said Isabel. "You know, I, I haven't really been outside London before. I'm so glad I came on this trip." 
You're right, Philip commented. So many foreign visitors just go to London and they don't see how beautiful England really is. Then he changed the subject. So, since you've been here in England, what have you been doing except working? I mean, what do you do at weekends, for example? Well, I usually study, Isabel said. I bring back books Mr. Fanshawe gives me. Books of literature I'll need to study next year. I spend the weekend reading and studying. There was a pause. Then Philip went on, OK, but don't you ever go out? Oh, yes, said Isabel. I take my books into the garden, or even to a park in Welling Garden City, and I study there when it's not raining. Another pause. Then Philip added, Do you know, in English we say, All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. He looked round at Isabel to see the reaction on her face. This time she did not seem to appreciate his contribution of English expressions. My name is not Jack, she said sullenly. Philip suddenly regretted having made that comment. He realised that getting to know Isabel was not easy. So during the rest of the journey, he made conversation about the sights they saw from the car window, curiosities of the English countryside, and how Spain was similar or different. The lighter moments they had shared the day before, however, were not repeated. As they approached the city of Oxford, Philip suddenly turned the car into a huge car park. There was a large sign outside which read, Park and Ride. OK, said Philip, we're going to leave the car here. It's still a long way to the centre, but it's difficult and expensive to park there. We usually leave our cars in these special car parks. There's a frequent bus service into the city centre. You just pay for the bus. The car park is free. Soon Isabel and Philip were sitting on the top deck of a green bus heading towards the centre of Oxford. In the distance, Isabel saw many elegant spires pointing upwards to the sky. It's spectacular, she said. The city of dreaming spires, they call it, said Philip. There are some magnificent buildings here. Many of the old ones you'll see are, in fact, part of Oxford University. Actually, the university is not just a collection of faculties. It's made of 39 autonomous colleges. It's the oldest university in the English-speaking world. The bus stopped somewhere in the city centre, and Isabel and Philip got off. They were in a shopping street, but the shops also appeared to be very old buildings. The street was bustling with shoppers and tourists. OK, so it's just a short walk to the Bodleian Library, said Philip. Although it was a short walk, Isabel kept stopping to take photos of the buildings they passed with the little camera she had brought in her handbag.
Then Philip led her into a quiet place, away from the busy street. Isabel looked up in wonder. That's magnificent and so unusual, she said. Then she started taking photos again. Will you take a photo of me in front of it for my parents? she asked, handing the camera to Philip. Sure, said Philip. But this is not actually the Bodleian Library itself. This is called the Radcliffe Camera. It's the reading room for the Bodleian, built in the 17th century. It was a tall, perfectly round building of yellowish stone, with a large grey-green dome on the top. In front and behind, there was a beautifully kept lawn, which looked like a bright green carpet, Isabel thought. Surrounding the library were other buildings of the same attractive stone, and with tall chimneys and little grey spires. It was a peaceful place with no cars. Isabel smiled to herself, a good place for study and contemplation. Philip continued in his tour guide role. OK, so the buildings on either side of the Radcliffe camera are two of the Oxford University Colleges. That one is called Brasenose College, and the one over there is All Souls College. By the way, Brasenose College was where Mr. Fanshaw used to teach English literature. Anyway, the actual Bodleian Library, where we're going, is just over here. It's one of the oldest libraries in Europe, and the second largest in the UK after the British Library in London. The Bodleian contains over 12 million books, and it's also well known because it was used in the making of the Harry Potter films. This was Hogwarts Library. Uh, anyway, shall we go in and see what we can find? Isabel put away her camera. You're right, she said. That's what we're here for. Then she looked at Philip, and her face was serious. I don't know why, but I feel a bit uneasy about this. Something's not right. She took a deep breath. Come on, I'm being melodramatic. We only have to ask a question. They walked towards the library entrance, a large, elegant and ancient stone doorway. Although tourists can visit some parts of the Bodleian, Philip led Isabel to an area called Reader Services. They were immediately stopped by a tall, dark-haired woman who looked at them suspiciously. Sorry, she said coldly. The guided tours are in the opposite direction. You must actually, interrupted Isabel, we're not tourists. I am a research student. I have a researcher's credentials. She opened her handbag and took out her student researcher's card. Oh, that's fine then, said the woman, looking briefly at the card. I'm Louise Russell, 
I'm head of reader services. How can I help you? Her tone of voice was softer. Philip had been surprised at Isabel's confidence. He looked round at her as though asking her for permission to continue. Um, we're looking for a new quarto that was recently discovered, a work by Shakespeare. It's called Henry VIII. Ah, said the woman, yes, there has been a new quarto discovered, it's true. It was sent to us anonymously. We don't even know where it came from. Come this way. They followed the tall woman along a stone passage with arched windows on the left side, which looked onto a large ancient courtyard. All along the passage were rows and rows of books on shelves. There was that pleasant smell of wood and dusty books. Louise then opened a door on her right and led them into a large, windowless room with more books, but this time piled on the floor. There were tables in the middle of the room, illuminated by bright lamps. Isabel could not see the full size of the room, as the far end was in complete darkness. At the tables, three women were peering into computer screens. Louise spoke to one of the women who did not even look at them, but continued staring into her computer. Jane, this is, um... She looked round and gestured towards Philip and Isabel. My name is Isabel. I'm a research student at Seville University, and this is Philip, my associate. Yes, said Louise. They are interested in the mysterious new quarto we received recently through the post, Henry VIII. Remembering Mr. Fanshawe's instructions, Isabel added, Actually, we believe there's a play hidden inside the quarto of Henry VIII, another play by Shakespeare. There was sudden interest from the women librarians in the room. Their faces looked up in curiosity. Another play, said Louise, astounded. You've discovered another play by Shakespeare? Philip and Isabel looked at each other. Then Isabel continued. It's called Elizabeth I, a history. It's hidden among the pages of the Henry VIII Quarto. Now Jane looked Isabel directly in the eye and spoke. Elizabeth I? Now that would be fascinating. A play about the times when Shakespeare himself lived. He would write about the historical events of his lifetime. The conflict between Protestants and Catholics. The murder of Mary, Queen of Scots. The invasion of the Spanish. Then the tension in her face disappeared. But I think you must be mistaken. I looked at that quarto. In fact, it looked very similar to the Henry VIII version in the first folio. And I didn't see another play inside. 
No, you wouldn't see anything, Philip interrupted. The pages of the Elizabeth I play are stuck between the pages of Henry VIII. Really, said Jane, and how do you know all this? Isabel and Philip were silent for a while. Then Isabel said mysteriously, We have our sources. I see, said Jane, giving Isabel a burning stare. So you won't tell us. Not a very scientific approach, is it? Aren't you a researcher? Isabel felt uneasy as she looked at this woman. She felt her heartbeat begin to race, and suddenly there was a pain in her chest, as though she could not breathe properly. We can't tell you, said Philip. We promised we wouldn't. We would like to examine the quarter, if that's possible. Another librarian suddenly started speaking. Jane turned her head and stared at her angrily. But the librarian took no notice of her. Unfortunately, we don't have the Henry VIII quarter here. When we find important historical texts, such as this one, we send them away to be analysed for authenticity in Stratford-upon-Avon. There is a specialist there called David Buddle. He runs a laboratory where they carry out tests. Then, when he finishes his analysis, he sends us a report. But you could go and visit him in Stratford if you like. He'd be interested to hear what you've told us. She smiled. Unlike Jane, this other librarian seemed friendly and helpful. Jane looked down at the table, an expression of fury on her face, and said nothing. The chief librarian coughed quietly. Well, why don't you both come with me and I'll show you out? We can go past my office first and I'll give you the address of Mr. Buddle's laboratory in Stratford-upon-Avon. The three of them left the room. Just before they went out of the door, Isabel turned around. Jane was still staring hard at the table, the look of rage fixed upon her face. And that's the end of Chapter 5. Until next Friday, goodbye for now. Thank you.